Greetings and felicitations to this week's Advent edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I'm from the Twin Cities in Minnesota, and I'm the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, and an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. This message and the scriptures preceding it are for the second Sunday in Advent, which is December 5th, 2021. The name of the message is, The Word of God Came to John. And it's a message, at least the, the big chunk of it, is representative of the season and the event at the end of Advent, its own uh, start of its own season, which is Christmas. So there is uh, just an interesting contrast and compare that I lift up and what its implications could be. The texts read by Barbara Todd are from Malachi 3, Philippians 1, and Luke 3. And let's go. This is going to be a great service. Thanks for tuning in. Our first reading is from the book of the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Lord tells of sending his messenger who will prepare for the day of God's coming, first by purifying the priesthood. See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the descendants of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. This ends the reading from Malachi. The second reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. The apostle expresses his gratitude, love, and prayers prompted by this Christian community and the care package is sent. In the passage, we hear references to the second coming of the Lord. Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you, because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, 
that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This ends the reading of the epistle lesson. This morning, it is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Luke gives us historical specificity and prophecy fulfilled as he introduces the activity of John the Baptist, preaching before the man Jesus comes onto the scene. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Etruria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanus, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Here ends the reading from Luke and our scriptures for this morning's service. May God give us a glad and faithful understanding of this word of God for the people of God. May God's spirit guide us through the day and the week as we think about what we have heard on this second Sunday of When people that uh, I favored were elected to office, I had optimistic hopes for positive change, such as good stewardship, taking on corruption rather than enjoying it, finding ways to lift or transform oppressive systems off the backs of those long damaged by their persistent unaccountability and more. And although I understand such deep dives take lasting change at foundational levels, that takes more than a little bit of time, take generations, I've learned not to get my hopes up too much. People are people, and so are those in various positions of power and the systems that are made up of people. God knows that too. Well, Malachi spends a long time, lots in his four-chapter book, in fact, detailing God's resentments towards the Levitical priests serving the temple in Jerusalem, people in whom God was disappointed. The passage we heard Mark read does not go into those because they're in chapters 1 and 2, but chapter 1 and 2 do. Priests would, for example, bring blind, lame, or sick animals for the burnt offerings to the Lord instead of ones that would be more likely to show respect to God. They would also use animals that were taken by violence 
And through Malachi, God called this polluting the Lord's table or altar. And the charges include twisting the teachings. Chapter 2 says, among other things, and I quote, For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, priests, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instructions. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in your instruction. Our reading, then, is the prophet telling the priests that God is going to refine them like fire, refined silver and gold. It's going to hurt. As verse 2 asks, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? The priests have major repentance to do, a change of heart, to want to give glory and honor to God's name, instead of offering, you know, whatever's available or the worst available. Only when they have had their sinful, cynical, self-loving hearts altered to put God and God's word first. When they have painfully refined, the alloy comes off, the purity is there, will they make offerings to God, which Yahweh will accept? Well, God knows about corrupt temple workers and priests and in some cases even church workers. They will be judged. But here, they are here given the chance, as those priests are, to wake up, smell the coffee, and change their ways inside and out. Their power as priests means nothing in those cases. It is worse than nothing. It dishonors and angers our God and steers those people in the wrong way. So I may fall for the temptation to Hope too much again for those who rise to or stay in various levels of power. But God sees and God remembers and has God's own plan for hope and peace and justice. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abel, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, and Wilkins. Let us listen to that. Luke lists the glitterati of power and influence, both religious and political, of that time. Tiberius was the Roman emperor from AD 14 to 37. Pilate, the governor of Judea, was there from AD 26 to 36. Herod and Philip, sons of Herod the Great and Lysanias, were regional rulers or tetrarchs well into the 30s AD. After their father Herod died in 4 BC. This is long-standing power. This is generational power. Annas and Caiaphas were both high priests and family too. Annas served from 86 to 15, 
The son of Caiaphas, his son-in-law, excuse me, his son-in-law Caiaphas from 18 AD to 36 AD, and Annas didn't die, he was still there. The role of high priest was a role I learned in preparing. That was a role subject to Roman approval and appointment during the first century AD. If you wanted to get something done, you had to go through these guys who were in the Jerusalem area. Even the high priests, as I said, were subject to pressure from Roman rule. We appointed you, we can disappoint you. So there it was laid out in Luke. The powers that be, the movers and shakers who really did not want to move or shake much when it came to, I don't know, ending poverty or freeing slaves or ending corruption and violence or even advocating for citizenship for Jewish people. This was where it was. So Luke notes, he puts it in there for historical context. He is the historian writing to his friend. And it was when all these were in place in the book, or as, or as good as in place like Caiaphas, may have given way to his son-in-law, but still there, that the gospel continued. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. God did not send the word through empire. God did not send the word through those people, those institutions and selfish materialist worldview of empire and its servants. No, but rather God sent God's word to John, son of a high priest hanging out in the desert. The guy, John, is the one whom God entrusted with the holy mission and sacred message to get ready, not the city, not the powers that be, not the politicians, soldiers, and high priests, to the religious leaders, but to a man named John, who lived in the desert, eating locusts and wild honey, or a camel picture. This, how often, so often, this is how God works to save the world. From outside the empire, as Brueggemann would put it, comes the words of truth that warn of the necessity of turning around before it is too late. And from empire will come those who will imprison and kill John, kill Jesus, do a cover-up on the resurrection, and also try to co-opt the pure gospel messages with things that ultimately do seem to corrupt, corrode, and bloody the hands of those who suffer with empire. God came to jump, not to those guys. One of the things John and Jesus both taught, as did the prophets, including Malachi, was repentance. It's a year-round message, which Advent and Lent emphasize due to what's coming up for you, me, and the world to receive. Malachi told the priests that, the, that they had to totally change how they related to their calling by reorienting their attitude towards the Lord most high, creator of the ends of the earth. Turn around, he told them, and show it that you have by your actions that you really need this change of heart. Turn away from your priorities which compete with the one God and turn towards God in more ways than 
Go for that purity that Malachi urges. Don't worry about getting refined or the alloys burned away. The purity will come back and your sacrifices will be accepted because you have changed. And then, going back to Luke, learning about John, then comes the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. There is forgiveness with our God, and God calls us to repent or to return so we can receive it. The forgiveness we find from God and most powerfully through Jesus is something we find that we can then do too. Forgive. Empires are not interested in that stuff. No change towards God. What's the point of that? Baptism. A sign of weakness before somebody else who does the baptizing. Humility. Get that. Forgiveness? Excuse me, have you read Nikolai Machiavelli's The Prince? Well, they hadn't been written in Jesus' time yet. But all the same, it's easy to see on how just one level those in power would find the beginning of the gospel message untasteful and counterproductive then. It would become much more fundamental than that later. Staying in Luke, we heard the images that were first in Isaiah. The voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways be plain. The rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. All flesh shall see. Pastor, UCC Pastor Cheryl Lindsay's take on this was symbolic. Of course, it's symbolism anyway. But she had another take. In similar ways to Mary's Magnificat, where the Lord's mercy is on those who fear him, the lowly shall be lifted up, and the powerful are brought down from their thrones. She suggests we look at the valleys as people who are kept down by the mountains, the highlands. She wrote, The words of hope promise liberation and redemption to those forced into perpetual valley wealth. At the same time, the message promises an end to a world order for those who build their mountaintop abodes on the backs of those held down in low places. End quote. Thus, she suggests, the Lord's way is prepared by people in the valley down low being elevated. Repentance is personal, but it is also communal. Reverend Lindsay remembers the Magnificat having already been sung in Luke's Gospel. And persons reading or hearing Luke, by the time Luke came to them, know how it turned out and who was on Christ's side. She writes that Luke thus cautions the reader against aligning with earthly rulers who use their power to lift themselves up rather than bringing up the lower. Luke's Gospel presents, she said, the kingdom of God in stark contrast and opposition to the rulers and reign R-E-I-G-N, the rulers and reign of this world. John the Baptist, she says, helps to usher in that proclamation. The word of God came to John. Well, hers is a unique way of thinking about this passage. 
A passage that, along with Malachi, has a call to purity and a reorientation to God first. Then the offerings will be accepted. Then the highway of our God can be built so that everyone shall really see the salvation of our God and rejoice. There is a private element to it, but also a social, communal, spiritual, and systemic cluster of changes. And if we, the Church Universal, and St. Peter's UCC, as part of Christ's body, long to respond to John's call with a yes, and do what we can to prepare that ultimate highway, Paul encourages us, as he reminds us that the one who began a good work in you, started this work. The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Will bring it to completion. That's good news. Thanks for tuning in to this second Sunday of Advent edition to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. Next week, we will light the candle of love, and we'll see if the scriptures and the message are going to be about love, because it kind of depends on the scriptures and what, what I choose to do with them. One thing I just wanted to say about working on this message is sometimes preachers are so used to looking for something hidden maybe in a double entendre or a piece of historical fact that most people don't know and we can build a sermon around, is we can forget to just read what's in front of our faces. And what I said in the sermon really is right there. Here's the glitterati, but God's word came to John. The word but isn't there, but it's it's right there in front of us to read. And... Uh, so that's what happened to me, and I needed a, needed a little help even doing that. So, again, I hope you found some meaning in this week's message, and I hope you'll tune in again. May God bless you and whatever you're doing this week and for this season. Be safe. Be vaccinated if your body can do that. I know some people can't because of autoimmune diseases, etc. And... May God bless your week. Amen.